Evening, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to another edition of the Stickblade Podcast. It is a Detroit Red Wings, Chicago Blackhawks, Red Rivals podcast. We talk about all things Hawks, all things Wings, and just general news about the NHL. Since it's the off season, we're a little bit light on the Wings and the Hawks content, so we're going to be talking about the rest of the league for the most part this episode. On tonight's schedule, we're going to be talking about Kevin Shattenkirk signing a deal in Tampa, the Minnesota Wilds still being without a GM. We're going to be talking about the NHL releasing their list of the top 20 centermen. And we're also going to be talking about another list of the top 50 prospect players in the NHL pipeline for the upcoming season. And then towards the end of the show, we're going to be talking about an underrated player in each each team's system. So with that being said, we'll go ahead and just jump right into the first topic on the schedule for tonight. So Kevin Shattenkirk ends up getting bought out by the New York Rangers about a week ago and then re-signs in Tampa with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, ends up signing just a one-year deal, if I remember correctly. So basically, he got bought out by New York. They either wanted to free up the cap space or they just wanted to make a slot for somebody else. Tampa picks him up. They maintain defensive depth. And on a one-year deal, they're not really risking anything here. Uh, Kevin, Nick, or David, which one of you guys wants to start with your opinions on this? Yeah, I'll start. I think it's a good sign for the Lightning. It's, you know, obviously a very low-risk move because it's only one year, and it's under $2 million, so it's pretty cheap as well. And I think, uh, you know, he's been a part of the organization before, so obviously they like Shattenkirk. And, you know, he can be a good role player, and he can do so at a low cap hit. Uh, I think they know that they can probably sign their other guys. Like they probably know, like making this move makes it clear that they can still fit in players like Brayden Point, even with the remaining cap hit that they have left. So I think uh, all of this is, you know, like it, it's a good move for the Lightning and I think it'll work out for them. I, yeah, I agree. It's a really low cap hit. Um, the big thing with him is he's, really mad about how it all went down and I think it put a little chip on his shoulder so I could definitely see him uh coming out strong this season especially with Tampa which is already a pretty strong team for now yeah I think it's a I think it's a great signing actually for Tampa they get a compatible uh com- a great not a great but a compatible top four defenseman like you guys been talking about last week I mean sure his stats haven't showed it the last two seasons, but it, it was just three years ago. Shattenkirk had 56 points with the Blues and the Capitals. So I think he, uh, I, I think he wasn't thrown in the best situation in New York. The team wasn't great. So a lot of the blame got put on him since he was kind of brought there to be that star D man and he really didn't work out there. So I think the Lightning made a great depth, it's a depth, a depth signing for that, that organization just with how stacked they are. But another former New York Ranger going to Tampa Bay. Seems like it's a trend, just like uh, how Stan likes bringing back former Blackhawks. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a great deal. And uh, obviously, Tampa Bay is just building a dynamic core or a dynamic core over there. I think the thing that I like best about this move from Tampa's end is, I mean, obviously, it's a low-risk move for them. I mean, you're taking on one year for $2 million in the sports world for a contract that's virtually nothing. And, I mean, you just said it, Nick, they're getting a perfectly competent top four defenseman out of that deal i think he'll probably get power play time i'd like to see him on probably the probably the middle pairing for them i don't think he's a top pairing guy anymore just due to age um and i i don't know i don't really see him meshing well with a guy like victor hedman but i think 
overall it's not a bad pickup for them. I mean, what other scenario are you going to get a top four defenseman who's got playoff experience under his belt and who's been a solid blue liner for his entire career for $2 million? I mean, those sort of players don't come along very often. And just to clarify, he probably won't be a top four defenseman in Tampa just with the pieces that they have there. He'll be a, he'll be a third pairing, but he's going to be a really strong third pairing D-man. So he, he's going to be able to play some time with the power play. And I think we're going to see a rebound year for Kevin Shadkirk. Like uh, David said before, he's really mad. He's mad about this buyout. He went home to New York, and he felt like he was disrespected. So I think you can see a vengeance tour for Kevin Shadkirk this year. Yeah, and just, you know, based off strength of teammates alone in Tampa versus New York the past two years, he's definitely going to have more to work with in Tampa. So I I agree with you, Nick, that uh, he probably does have a rebound year. That's also another key thing to know is, I mean, the sort of talent that he's surrounded by in Tampa. You're talking Stamkos, Kucherov. I mean, I just mentioned Hedman, but they still have a very solid core playing there. So he's getting a better chance to play with higher quality players, which means better production usually anyway. David, what's your opinion? Do you think this, uh, do you think this is really going to be a pretty good pickup for them? Oh, I definitely think so. Tampa, um, like I said earlier, is a strong team. If I remember correctly, they were they first in their conference last year. Yeah. They were first in the league. First in the league too. Yeah. Like, and they just, they they find the ways to just shoot themselves in the foot in the playoffs. But I think with the acquisition of Shattenkirk on top of what they already have on defense, um, with, I mean, they've got Victor Hedman, um, who I think's always been a pretty strong defen- defender with uh, Braden Coburn too. So I think adding him to their defensive core, he's going to step into their first or second pairing. So do you guys think that he gets power play one or power play two time? Like, I mean, Tampa Bay last year, it seemed like their power play had nights where it was great. And then other nights where it just didn't really do anything. I could see him in power play one. I don't think he would start it right away because he just joined the team. um, And he's got to get a feel for everything, but I could see him definitely jumping into it later. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they'll try him there at some point, whether it sticks or not, I don't know. Um, but you know, I think they'll give him a chance. I don't know who's currently on the power play one unit. I imagine it's probably Hedman there. Um I, I assume they run one defenseman on the power play. And it's probably Hedman and then, you know, they've also got Sergachev as an option there. Um, McDonough Cernak. So uh I'm sure he'll get a shot there at one point, but yeah, I don't know if he sticks over there or not. I don't know. Okay. Well, if nobody has anything else to talk about in terms of this signing, we'll go ahead and move on to our next topic. Uh, The Minnesota Wild is still without a general manager for their team. Uh, We kind of joked about it last week about them potentially picking up Peter Shirelli, but rumors around the league are that they're actually considering it. I'm not sure what to think of this. I mean, Minnesota hasn't hasn't had the success, at least in recent years, to pick up a big-name GM, so I don't think it'll attract somebody who's a big name, but it kind of worries me that they still haven't found somebody. I mean, I'm not sure if they're holding out to try to find, quote-unquote, the right guy for the job. I mean, I'm still waiting for a phone call. I, <laughs> I, I visited my friend in Minnesota this past January. It was a nice little place, and uh, I've played GM mode on 
NHL for many years and won multiple Stanley Cups. So I feel like I'm a viable candidate. You definitely have uh, the right qualifications for the job, uh, probably more so than Peter Shirelli. Yeah, I was just going to say, if they're looking for the right guy, Peter Shirelli's not the run. Not the one. I mean, I'll take a minimum <laughs> league payment, too. I mean, I mean pay off my student loans like that. that. That's why I wasn't here last week. I got that phone call, and uh, well, clearly it didn't work out, so I'm back. <laughs> well, apparently, Bill Guerin interviewed for it. That's, that's an interesting choice. Yeah, I saw uh, Ron Hextall is another one that uh, they're interviewing, and then I think I saw Don Waddell is another one that they might be looking at for the job and of course peter shirelli you know it's kind of weird if he hadn't gone to edmonton i actually thought ken holland might have made a uh, decent choice for them yeah he seems to always make really good moves and minnesota has never been at least in recent years hasn't been anywhere near as bad as edmonton is and i think if you had a guy like him take over a ship that's still at least treading water, mm-hmm. he'd have been able to turn. Yeah, that they're gonna have to team. hire someone really soon because obviously we're getting really close to preseason starting up, and you know you don't want to hire a GM so close to the start because they need time to get acquainted to the system and everything. So we should be hearing something maybe within the next week, week and a half, two weeks. I don't know, but it, it's got to be soon. Um, but you know, personally, if I were the new GM of the Minnesota wild, this is a team that I would blow up because the Minnesota wild have gone, I don't know, the last decade or something of just being a mediocre team. Like they're never good. They're never bad. So they don't get good draft picks, but they also don't make deep playoff runs. I would just blow them up and rebuild, do exactly what the Rangers did. And they're getting a weird, they're getting a weird position now, too, because, like, Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi's contracts are going to be looking terrible soon. And yeah. yeah it, it seems like, yeah, I would I would agree, Kevin. They need to just blow it up as soon as possible just because, I mean, you're right now you may find a suitor for Parise. As, uh, I said suitor, but for Parise and Suter. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they need to blow it up just full go full on rebuild mode because like you said Kevin this team has been just mediocre they sure they made the playoffs a couple times but they really weren't true cup contenders like you didn't no team fear the Minnesota Wild when they faced them in the playoffs yeah and uh, 2020 is going to be a really great draft class so honestly I would do it this year I'm sure they've got well they do they have lots of pieces that would be very valuable to teams at the deadline or even before the deadline I would blow up the team. I think it's, you know, the best thing they could do for their future. Oh, Minnesota, to me, they actually remind me a lot of the 2010 2000, through 2016 Detroit Red Wings rosters where they're good enough to squeak in, but like you guys are mentioning, they're not good enough to make deep playoff runs. Detroit, I mean, it's kind of interesting to watch a team like Detroit try to force itself because I mean Minnesota's kind of in that same boat right now. They're about to realistically, like you just mentioned, not have suitors for some of their contracts that are about to become bad deals. I think somebody needs to take over Minnesota soon. And I mean the New York Rangers sent out that letter to their fans saying, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna be getting rid of some pieces, so don't get attached to anybody." I think if Minnesota is looking to start their rebuild, they should just do it now and just tell the fans, hey, there's going to be some pain coming. I mean, the New York Rangers did it, and it seems like their roster looks perfectly competent and looks like they could be dangerous this season. I mean, 
Minnesota doesn't have the high end prospects in their system via draft picks, but I mean, well, that's another years. issue for yeah, that's another issue for Minnesota. Is I think they need to rehaul their scouting staff because they seem to always make bad picks every year. I mean, if you go like three or four years and you're a bottom feeder team, I mean, you can pick up some very high end talent. I mean, this league seems to be trending that way where teams are bad for three or four straight years. You pick up those high-end pieces and you just try to ride them for as long as you can then just do it over again. It seems like it's getting very much into a cycle, whereas your window's going to be three or four years and you just you go right back to the bottom again. And I think Minnesota could put themselves into that situation without having to draw out and just drag out their rebuild. I think it'd be better for them just to start it now. I, mean, I feel I like ownership is just worried about, uh, with Minnesota being such a big hockey market, a large hockey market, I think that's what they're worried about is their fans losing interest if they just blow it up just because they don't want to lose those fans. I mean, it's I mean, the, it's the state of hockey. So, I mean, but they, the right thing would be to blow it up. But I feel mm-hmm. like Minnesota's just trying to cling on to just being somewhat good. And it was the, you know, the mistake that the Red Wings did. Like, instead of just pulling the Band-Aid off and just doing it, we just had the Band-Aid and then put a bunch of duct tape over it and then slowly peeled it off, which just made it even more painful to watch. I mean, realistically, the way that the league is set up right now, I mean, eventually everybody takes their turn at the bottom. And it, I think, <laughs> well, really, though, like everybody takes their turn at the bottom. I mean, if you are going to be at the bottom, you might as well pick when you take your turn and let your fans know that way they know and aren't you know mad at ownership. I mean, was ta- or in one of my uh, business co- classes in college, one of my professors, he said something that I really uh, I thought was pretty profound. He said, your customers won't get mad at you if you tell them that there's going to be pain before they get something good. And I think fans are probably the same way. I mean, when the Rangers sent out that letter, their essential ticket sales, their viewership, I mean, it didn't really tank. I mean, people kept watching the team. I don't yeah, know. I mean, if you if you put out that message beforehand, just like, hey, guys, like just hang in tight. It's going to be rocky for a couple of years, but then we're going to get things back on track. You know, that kind of lets the fans in on the game plan here. If you don't do that and then your team starts sucking, then the fans think it's just incompetent management. So, you know, I think it's important to keep fans in the loop like that. Yeah, and it shows confidence in the management. It's like, yeah, we know it's going to be bad, but I pro- like we're promising you it's going to be be- it's going to get better. Yeah, if teams just suck out of nowhere, like, I mean, I guess Chicago fans could kind of relate to these last two years. How, I mean, we, I mean, based off the roster, we knew it wasn't going to be great, but Stan and John McDonough kept telling us like, we believe this is a playoff team. We believe in this roster, and clearly it wasn't it. So they they were just yeah. lying to the fans, and that is what angers hockey fans more is just being lied to. Expecting great things just because management's telling you they're gonna do great things, but now, like, if the Blackhawks simply just set out that letter saying, "Hey, we're gonna rebuild for a bit," then the fans would understand. So I think the Minnesota Wild should do the same thing like the Rangers did. Yeah, that kind of was a weird situation with the Blackhawks because it's very clear that Stan Bowman has a plan. We've been seeing how it's been playing out over the past few years, and we can see, it, uh, you know, kind of the effect of it starting to happen now. Uh, but yeah, they, they kept telling us that, uh, the Blackhawks were going to be a playoff team when clearly they weren't. Um, yeah, that was kind of odd messaging for them. I thought. 
The Wings management kind of did the same thing towards the end of our playoff run, or they kept saying, you know, we're, we're going to make the playoffs, we're going to make a uh, make a deep run. And it was just consistent first round exits, and fans in Detroit got pretty mad about it. I mean, everybody knew the rebuild needed to happen, and a lot of people would have been okay with the rebuild. I mean, if you go to our subreddit, for example, you don't really see a lot of people complaining about Detroit being a bottom feeder right now because most hockey fans have the ability to look down the road three or four years and say, okay, that's when it'll be good. I, I think Minnesota's probably got intelligent fans just like a lot of the other big hockey markets do who can see the big picture. At this point, I'd be frustrated with them you know, for not blowing it up. Like I would just be like, you know, pull the trigger now because that's honestly better than being mediocre for, you know, years and years and years because then you're just, you're not gaining anywhere. There's no excitement. Does anybody else have uh, anything they want to comment on this topic before we move on? I think we covered just about all of that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll move on to our next topic for tonight. Uh, the NHL ended up putting out their list for the top 20 centers currently in the league. We all know the usual names are on there. You know, Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, you know, Nathan McKinnon, the big name guys obviously are on that list, but some weird guy, names have been left off. Uh, Jonathan Taves left off. <clears throat> Dylan Larkin left off. I mean, Matthew Shane. Matt du- yeah, Shane's left off. I mean, I don't know. I thought this list was kind of weird. If you haven't seen the list, you can find it on uh, NHL's website, I believe. They basically walk through everybody who they have on there, but I don't know. I wasn't a fan of this list. I mean, you can't really tell me that I believe it was Logan Couture is on this list, but you can't tell me Logan Couture is a better centerman than Jonathan Taves. I mean, yeah, and Couture's at 17, so it's not like he's at 20. Um, you know. I mean, that's even more understandable. I mean, Couture's a veteran. Elias Pedersen, uh, that's what frustrates me. I mean, Taves is a three time Stanley Cup champion. Cup coming off a career year and somehow still left. He was on the list for, he was left off the list the last two years, but he's been on it ever since, ever since before that. And now all coming off a career year, yeah, the Blackhawks didn't make the playoffs. But how do you leave him off the list? He has a resume. I, I just, it frustrates. And you still have him on the top 100 players list. So it really doesn't make sense. It's contradicting. Yeah, and putting Pedersen there, I mean, that's just premature. Will Pedersen, you know, be worthy of being in the top 20 couple years from now yeah it's very likely if he keeps up this you know uh this upward trajectory and and keeps up his high-end play and keeps improving but as of now it's just too early to have him up there yeah he's just a rookie i don't know why he would or he well he was a rookie it's just weird that there's so many other names that got knocked off so they could put him up there i also think like malkin hasn't been that great recently and they've still got him at 13 on the list i think he could honestly be a bit lower. I think my uh, my my favorite on this list is that they have. Let's see where's he at. They have uh, Tyler Sagan at eleven. I think that's a little bit high. I mean, yeah, he had thirty three goals and forty seven assists, but I mean, just watching his game, I didn't think he was you know number eleven in the league in terms of centers. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think Sagan is a bit high on the list here. Yeah. Jack Eichel might be a bit low. You have to consider the team he's playing on not very good, and uh, he's probably a bit better than his stats indicate. And then Aho played. I mean, I know Aho moved to center, but still, he played wing majority of the period. And so, I mean, to have him at fourteen as a center already, I don't think he even has a full season under his belt playing center. 
So it's just it's just frustrating. I mean, just seeing like these guys with resumes like Duchesne, Cave, and I. I mean, Barzell, I think is well deserved to be on that list above Patterson as well. So I would put Barzell above uh, above Patterson right now for sure. So yeah, it's just some names left off the list. I mean, we also leaving out Sean Couturier, who's also just missing yeah, Couturier so, is a really good two way player. It's I mean I know there's a lot of good centers in the NHL, but I mean there's. I mean, I would say at least three of those names that missed the cut should have been on it. In my opinion, it's a really weird list for sure. Like, just so many people that I think could have been in here weren't for questionable picks. I mean, you mentioned Malkin. He's certainly not a bad centerman, but I don't think this last season he was anywhere up to where he's been previously. And then uh, another list that the NHL, or I don't believe the NHL put this one out. Yeah, this was SportyNews.com. Uh, yeah, SportyNews.com. They ended up putting theirs out for the season. Um, a couple players of note. Uh, Jack Hughes is obviously the number one here for the New Jersey Devils. Everyone kind of expected that going in. He's the the young kid who everyone wants to see what happens. Uh, Capocacco for the Rangers, obviously the other one. Inter- obviously, bright for Detroit is uh, Philip Zedina is at f- number four, which is good. Um, he got picked last year, and when he didn't make it to the NHL initially, a lot of people started panicking on him for some reason. And to see him at four is probably a, a good sign for Detroit. I mean, he seemed to like in Grand Rapids, he was starting to put the pieces together. And I think if you put him with better line mates, guys who can do a better job of setting him up, I think he has a chance to have a very good year this year in Detroit. Then a uh, Another player of note, uh, Adam Boquist from the Hawks organization. He's at number ten. So, yeah, over Kirby Hawks Doc. Well. Which, yeah, over Kirby Doc. I think is a weird decision. I, I don't. I wouldn't have Boquist ahead of Doc. I think Boquist is ahead of Doc just strictly because defensemen tend to take longer to develop than forwards tend to, and he seems like he's going to be able to make the transition to the NHL faster than most defensive. Uh, players who get drafted do. I mean, we saw him at the Hawks camp with that amazing, ama- was it a goal or an assist that he had where he did like the between the, uh, the legs pull through with his stick? Do you guys know what play I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I, that was an assist, right? He did the deke and yeah. then sent it over. Yeah, I think it was like to Slavin, right? Yeah, it was uh, Josiah Slavin. <laughs> yeah. And a Kirby Doc at 13. So, I mean... Hawks and the Wings have some pretty decent players, and then uh, I believe Valeno. Joe Valeno's at 17. Yeah, so I think it's a, it's definitely a bright yeah. spot that uh, we have two, or each of each of our respective teams have two top 50 prospects. So, I, yeah, I mean, the future's bright in both of these organizations. It's nice to see a Blackhawks have a top 10 prospect in the NHL. And, it, uh, yeah, I mean, it shows times are changing. It's no longer all about the core that we have it's about what's being built in the farm system i don't know who this jack hughes is but joe valeno should really be (laughs) i'm still convinced like detroit had to have paid every other team last year at the draft to skip joe valeno there's no way that kid should have gone 30th oh man i don't know that's crazy that he fell that far he got granted exceptional status didn't he in the chl i believe so i think he did yeah and like how does a kid like that get picked at 30th when you're given exceptional status? Like, Well, there have been instances of exceptional status uh, not working out. I'm trying to think. There was another... Sean Day of the New York Rangers. Right, that's who it was, Sean Day. Yeah. When was the last time you heard that name? 
yeah, it was, uh, the last time I heard that name was probably two years before he was supposed to get picked, and now, yeah, it just fell off. But still, it's a pretty high mark, though. I mean, it was surprising to see every almost basically every team skip on that kid. But in terms of those rankings, do you guys like them in just in terms of where they're at on those lists? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, like, I think Kirby Doc should be ahead of Bo Fist, and then I also think Trevor Zegers and Spencer Knight are way too high on, high on this list. Spencer Knight's number 10. Spencer Knight's number 9. Oh, number 9. I thought it was 10. Oh, no, wow. he's here at 9 on the list. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Goalies are just weird. Like, Spencer Knight maybe could be a franchise goalie, in which case, sure, you can have him top 10 on the list. But there's also a very high chance that that doesn't I happen. I just don't think I would have him that high. And then Trevor Zegras, I just think... I wouldn't even have him top 15. Goalies are very tough to call, and it's crazy that this kid that was just drafted is at number nine, yeah. I'd be curious what goes into actually scouting a goaltender. Like, what are the metrics that you look for besides save percentage, obviously? Like, when the people scout goalies, do they look at, like, your sliding speed? Do they look at your weight? Do they look at your height? Do they, like, time your reflexes? Like, I would be curious to ask a scout what goes into evaluating a goaltender yeah i mean there's definitely no exact science and nothing really close to it either just because i mean we see it in in the way uh goalies pan out in the draft where it always seems to be very hit and miss so i don't even think the professional scouts really have it down but uh yeah definitely size is a big factor because if you're under like 62 i don't think you're going to be generating a lot of interest um by scouts just because that's kind of the meta now in the league is just being a big goalie and then you know if you're big you have to be able to be athletic and make quick moves so those two i'm confident are things that they take into consideration but Aside from that, yeah, I don't really know what it is that they look at. I'm sure they have some sort of criteria, but to me at least, I mean, you can't look at a goaltender's save percentage and that tells the whole story. I mean, there's there's a lot of factors that go into that. Yeah, and then I'm sure like a lot of it really just comes down to eye test at the end of the day. But yeah, that that was the list that got put out for uh, the prospects. Uh, Nobody has anything else to talk about for either of those lists we can move on to our final topic for the night um, since uh, i just want to say that it's insulting that ian mitchell is not on the top 50 prospect list put some respect on his name yeah it should be up there over josh brook <clears throat> who also a... took his spot on the world junior team anyway <laughs> we can continue i just needed to uh get that off my chest oh it's all right let it out <laughs> But we'll go ahead and move on to our last topic of the, uh, of the evening. Um, because it is the off-season and content's kind of light right now, uh, we're going to talk about both teams in terms of the Blackhawks and the Red Wings and just who each of us believes in an, is an underrated player on those teams and just sort of talk about why we think that they're either underrated or undervalued by either just fans who don't follow the sport closely or just in general, um, I'll go ahead and start off. My pick from the Detroit Red Wings organization is Luke Glendening. Um, this guy does not light up the scoreboard by any means. Uh, he's not netting you 20 goals. He's not making amazing dekes. He's not really generating these crazy chances. But what he does is he can play fourth line center. 
He can penalty kill. He can play a shutdown role. His contract is very good, just in terms of what you're getting from him. And on top of that, I believe he was the captain when he played at the University of Michigan, so he brings leadership to the locker room as well. He's one of those players who, he's not making a big name for himself, but he doesn't have to because everyone on the ice that he plays with understands that he's filling a role, and when he fills it, he fills it perfectly well. I think a lot of fans just sort of gloss over fourth-line players when those are the sort of guys who can do the little things like shut down another team's high-end players like their first or second lines and really just keep them off the scoreboard. I mean, watched it. I believe it was last year there was a game that he played with Dylan Larkin against the Edmonton Oilers where him, Larkin, and I'm trying to remember who the other person who they had playing on the line with him was, but they literally kept a Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl line to five shots for the entire game. I mean, when you get somebody who can shut down star players and basically take away all their offense, that sort of player is insanely valuable to your organization, to your game. I'll go, I guess. Uh, We'll go. I mean, we could just like ping pong it. Red Wings, Blackhawks, Red Wings, Blackhawks. Um, I'm going to go with Dylan Sakura. I think that's a good pick. I think uh, he's very underrated. His possession numbers, I I believe I talked about it before when they announced the extension for Dylan Sakura. Sure, he he hasn't been putting the puck in. I think he's been snake bit. He's had tons of great scoring chances. He seems to make all the right moves on the ice. And Dylan Sakura, I think he once he gets that scoring touch, once he finally pots his first NHL goal, I think uh, he'll get going. He he's, he shows he knows how to play at the NHL level. He knows what he's doing on the ice. So it's just a matter of fact of scoring that goal. And I, I, I've I had buddies text me saying they were upset about the Sakura signing. He's a bust. Can't really be a bust when you're a late-round pick. But uh, Yeah, Sakura was like a sixth-round pick, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think just the hype train on him in college, everybody was expecting this superstar. And maybe it, it, it still could come. He has the tools. It just He just needs to put it all together. He's looked fine out there. He hasn't looked terrible, and he's getting chances to play with the top line sometimes. So it's uh, it's going to come with Sakura, and I think he's undervalued in that point. Yeah, I like the Sakura pick a lot as someone who's underappreciated on the team because, yeah, I've seen a lot of people criticizing Dylan Sakura, and I just don't get it because, yes, he went the season uh, without any goals, but to me, that's not really much of a concern. I mean, even in college, he was never the trigger man. He was always the playmaker on the top line there at Northeastern. Um, and, you know, also, the uh, you know, he was snake bit. So it's not like uh, he wasn't getting those chances. You know, he that's the other thing, too, is he was generating a lot of offensive chances. Uh, if you look at, you know, his underlying uh, metrics, the underlying numbers, they're all positive for Dylan Secure, both offensively and defensively. He played very well, you know, full two-way game. And we saw at the end of the season, he was playing with Jonathan Taves and Brandon Saad and these top players for Chicago. And uh, he was a very positive contributor, even, you know, both uh, with the puck and even when he didn't have the puck, um, you know, he was always in the right spot and doing the right thing. So I think uh, Dylan Secura, we'll see where he's at this coming season because I don't know how much space there is for him on the roster. 
Um, but I'm sure at the very least, if he doesn't make the roster, he'll be call up number one. And I think uh, he'll definitely be able to dominate Rockford if that's the case. And then, you know, the following season, you know, the 2020 21 season, that's where we can see Sakura really uh, cementing himself on the roster. And hopefully flourish. Yeah, I think so. I think he will. He is a bit of a late bloomer, um, but I, I think he'll get there just because um, everything I've seen from him so far. You know, he's a smart player, and uh, uh, I think things will work out for him. I um, I would have gone with Luke Glendening if you hadn't, because like I said earlier before we started, he reminds me a lot of the Drew Miller, Patrick Eves we used to have back in the day that had a job, did the job, killed penalties, did everything. Um, but I'm going to pick uh, Franz Nielsen, I think. He gets kind of overlooked a lot. Um, I mean, he's older. He has a large contract, but he's a guy that does his job and does it well. He's a borderline 50% face-off percentage uh, guy, so you can always pretty much trust him on the face-offs. Um, he scores double-digit goals pretty much every year um, with more assists on top of that. Um I think he's a stable player that um, can work a shift and works well with a lot of our younger guys by um, helping them develop and working with them on their lines like Tara Harose and Anathasiu. Uh, um, I just think he's a little underrated um, and he does his job well. So yeah, a lot of people have been criticizing the Franz Nielsen contract, but Contract aside, like Nielsen is a perfectly fine player. I mean, he's a veteran. He's been through the league. He's been around for a minute. I mean, mm-hmm. if I remember right, aside high. from Cron- aside from Cronwall, he's the oldest player on the roster, isn't he? Yeah, he is thirty-five. So I mean, he's he's been around the league for a minute. That's for sure. But I mean, it's like you said, he can he can play with just about anybody. And like you said, he also. I mean, he's a perfectly good centerman to take draws uh, his shootout percentage is also great mm-hmm. um, he's just got a very high hockey iq as well i mean contract aside like that is that is a perfectly good player to have on your team somebody who can mentor who can take face-offs who's a smart player mm-hmm. and who can teach like end of the day you have to have somebody on your roster who can teach younger players coming up if you don't these kids really don't have somebody to learn from and sometimes you watch players in the league who don't have a role model and they just sort of fizzle just this what was it i believe it was two days ago that article came out where i mean dylan larkin said he you know he still talks to henrik zetterberg like off the ice like having organizational leaders in your locker room i mean that's huge for getting your players to grow just in terms of potential and production. I mean, Henrik Zetterberg, speaking of him, sorry, uh, segue, uh, him and his wife are opening a sandwich shop in Sweden, so I think he's got his next big adventure. Yeah, I think Franz Nielsen is a perfectly good pick. We'll go ahead and move on. Go ahead and, uh, and take us off, Kevin. All right, so with my pick, I'm going to go with David Camp for the Chicago Blackhawks. And, you know, basically for a lot of the same reasons uh, that we uh, went off uh, explaining in regard to Dylan Secura, 
is that David Camp is just, he's one of those players that you look at the score sheet and he's doesn't exactly uh, pop off, but you also have to consider, you know, he's playing a bottom six role and, you know, this last season he got 20 points stapled to guys like Chris Kunitz and um, Marcus Kruger and who else was he paired with? Um, uh, Andreas Martinson for like the start of the season, uh, John Hayden. So like a lot of these guys who uh, are not going to help you score points and yet he still put up 20 points, which is pretty good. And there was that stretch of the season where David Camp was injured and the team suffered a lot when he was gone. They went on this huge losing streak. And then when he got back, the team actually started performing much better again. So I think he's uh, an underrated part of the Blackhawks roster right now. I think he's really the ideal fourth line center, but could also play a third line role. And, um, you know, I think it was it, Jeremy Colleton said that David Camp could be, was it a 40 or 50 point player or something like that? I don't know if that actually happens, but I can see where Jeremy Colleton's coming from because you'll watch David Camp and he'll have these few flashes of brilliance where you're like, oh my God, this guy actually has a lot of skill. Um, and so he's not playing like that 24 seven, but um, there's definitely a lot of talent there with David Camp. And I think... Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks definitely found uh, a bit of a gem in David Kampf when they brought him over from the Czech Czech Republic with uh, Jan Ruda. They brought them over together, and uh, I think David Kampf, you know, really worked out for them. And uh, obviously, they like him because they re-signed him, and I think he'll be an important part of the team moving forward. I agree, Kevin. I think David Kampf's a perfect like. I, I know it's kind of weird to say, but he's like a model bottom six forward. He does it all. He can yeah. kill penalties. And he's skilled, too. Like you said, he shows signs of flashes. There was one, this one point in the regular season. That I can't remember exactly. I mean, it was a, it was one of his assists, and he just had a filthy deke that just led to him. Like, it was like a backhand pass in the slot. And like, who, like, I knew he, who he was, and I'm like, where is this coming from? I mean, he wasn't yeah. expected to be like a skilled forward, but he has the tools to be a, like he's a model bottom six player. I know I said it already. But he just he just looks great out there. He could play with just about anyone. You, you listed the names of guys that he played with, and obviously they weren't like like stud players, and he still made it work with them. So David Camp yeah. is very undervalued at that point. And we did see like a couple shifts at this uh, during the season where he did play with Patrick Kane, and he held his own on that line too. So he's a guy that can really play anywhere. I think he's pretty versatile. So. Uh, you know, David Camp really brings a lot to the team. And also props to Jeremy Colleton for really noticing that in him because I think not this past season, but the season before, if you told me that, you know, I'd be praising David Camp like I am now, I don't think I would have believed you. But Jeremy Colleton coached him in Rockford and saw those things in him. And he gave David Camp a lot of opportunities to thrive this season. And, and I think camp really took those. Um, he took those opportunities and he took it and ran with it. At least for, from what I can gather, it seems like almost all of us picked somebody who is a bottom six type player who does just like a job without really doing something flashy, which seems to be like depth based players. Um, is everyone's, would everyone agree? That's pretty much, yeah, I mean, I think those are usually the players that tend to get underrated are the bottom six players that don't 
do anything flashy. They don't have a stellar looking stat sheet per se. You know, if you're a top six player and you're making highlight reels all the time, then chances are you're not going to be underrated. Um, so yeah, I think that's fair. And uh, I think, yeah, with all of our picks here, we definitely had similar things to say about them where they're, you know, out there killing penalties and just being really effective on the ice. But yeah, I, th- I think that it pretty much is going to wrap up our picks in terms of who the underrated or undervalued, I guess, players on each roster are. And that'll also conclude the schedule for tonight's episode. Um, as always, we hope you enjoyed what you listened to. If you would like to give us some sort of fan mail, feedback, or questions you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, you can always contact the podcast. The contact email is stickbladepodcast at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to find us on Twitter, you can find us on Twitter at stickbladepod. And if you find us on SoundCloud, which is how we're going to probably assume you found our podcast, feel free to give us a follow. Um, slowly but surely trying to get people to to follow the podcast and get some listenership going. And really, we'd like to get fan engagement going with you guys, so please go ahead and uh, send us either questions via email or Twitter. We're always open to them. Um, tomorrow I'm actually potentially going to be taking a trip to Little Caesars Arena going for a VIP tour. So if they have the or if they have a policy that'll let me take my camera in, I'll try to take some pictures for you guys on Twitter and post them. With that being said, I'm your host Jordan Linscott, my co-host Nick LePage, Kevin Musto, and David Barnhouse. This has been another edition of the Stickblade Podcast. Have a good evening. <laughs>